Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode number 26 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and for this week, in the link lists for Superblog Team Up. Yes, this is a very special week because it is that magical time of year once again, or magical time of the season, because uh, this usually happens three or four times a year, but uh, it is Superblog Team Up, and... Uh, the theme this time out, uh, if, you, if you've listened to earlier episodes, I have discussed Superblog Team Up before. I uh, even had uh, the man behind Superblog Team Up, Chris Bailey, a Charlton hero, on to uh, give us the rundown on how Superblog Team Up came to be a thing. And I'll link to that in the show notes as well. It was a really fun interview. So if you are familiar with Superblog Team Up, you'll know that every time out we kind of have a theme. You know, we're all writing on theme or talking on theme, I guess, now uh, with the inclusion of podcasts. But uh, this time out, the theme is immortal, you know, kind of playing with the idea that, you know, no one really ever dies in comic books. And uh, even even when there's a body, even when there's a cremation, even when there's, you know, absolutely no possibility that someone survived something, they always find a way. They always uh, They always get better. And I was trying to think of a way I could tie anything into uh, speaking about immortality. Uh, over the course of these past several months, I've sort of used this uh, podcast as a, almost like a sounding board, just uh, you know, sharing bits and pieces about my life and saying a lot of things out loud for the first time ever. And it's uh, it's been a very fun experience, but try as I might, I couldn't think of something that I could tie in with uh, immortality or just the very concept of, you know, super blog team up, colon, immortal. And then I thought about maybe I could discuss near-death experiences. But here's the thing. Outside of, you know, the regular taking your life into your own hands by getting behind the wheel of a car sort of a situation, I don't have anything. I don't, you know, knock on wood, I don't have a near-death experience story. Uh... And, you know, a lot of folks that you meet in your everyday life will have stories where if they were, you know, just an inch to the right or an inch to the left, things would have been completely different or they wouldn't be standing there talking to you at that moment or if they would have gotten somewhere five minutes later or five seconds later, you know, it, a lot of folks have those stories and I, thankfully, don't, you know, or, or you know, for the purposes of this episode, I guess that's unfortunate, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's uh, nothing but a good thing. Uh, so while I don't have any, you know, near-death experience stories, uh, what I do have is a uh, you know, crippling hypochondria and an overactive imagination. So I can actually bring this all around and uh, come up with something to discuss here. What I want to do is take you back to two days in May, uh, this past May 2019. Um, it was just a regular day. It was nothing special. And... Uh, I was making myself lunch. I was in my kitchen, and lunch for me was, uh, I really didn't take care of myself very well. I, my lunch was four, um, White Castle frozen hamburgers, and, uh, and, uh, you know, those, you know, those French fries, those, like, radioactive French fries you find in the freezer section, where, like, you turn the box inside out, and there's, like, that weird, sorta plasticky metal thing that you press into the fries to make them crispy. I, I don't know if those... <laughs> Are everywhere, but uh, I uh, I do uh, you know I do uh, 
eat those, or I did eat those uh, pretty often when I was eating alone. Because, uh, and it's kind of embarrassing because one of my passions in life is cooking, and I, I love making, you know, overblown and grandiose meals that, uh, y- you know, no couple could possibly eat in one sitting. But uh, it's something that I just enjoy doing. I, I spend hours in the kitchen working on, uh, you know, tweaking recipes and just. Just playing, you know, I, I just have a really good time with that But uh, when I'm just serving myself or cooking for myself I will take whatever shortcut I can just to, get, you know, get it done Because I just don't think that, you know, my lunch is worth putting in a whole lot of effort So I just uh, defer to the microwave and I will throw a couple of twin packs of <laughs> White Castle frozen hamburgers into the, into the, uh, into the microwave And uh, then those radioactive french fries so I was uh, making this, uh, you know, wonderfully spectacular lunch for myself, and uh, I was putting the uh, ketchup back in the fridge, and uh, I don't know if that's uh, something that I should be ashamed of admitting to, that I put ketchup on my hamburger. Uh, I don't put mustard on anything. Actually, mustard doesn't come into my house. I don't allow it. Uh, I can't. Ugh, I don't do mustard. But uh, I was putting ketchup on the thing, and I, and I put it back in the fridge, and then all of a sudden I was overcome by this very, very, very sharp pain in my chest. So sharp, in fact, that I dropped to my knees, and then I was actually on all fours for a little bit. And and I'm laying there, or not laying there, but I'm kind of like like crawling, in a crawling position, but not moving. And uh, and I kept thinking, like, okay, you know, this is this might be it. You know, this is uh, this is where uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna die making. Garbage uh, microwaved hamburgers. <laughs> that'll that'll be in my obituary and on my tombstone. And uh, you know, I looked down because uh, you know I was I was on my knees and elbows, and I looked down and I, and I see my stomach dragging on the floor. Like my stomach is actually touching the floor. I'd gotten I'd gotten quite overweight, and uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, this. Over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, I've been killing myself. I've just been eating garbage, not taking care of myself, uh, not exercising, uh, and just really taking very, very poor care of myself. And I really thought, you know, I, I in a way, I killed myself here. I'm going to die here on the floor. My wife's going to come home and see her fat husband <laughs> dead on the floor. And... Uh, I was just kind of beside myself there, just worried and trying to move, but at the same time trying not to move, because when I did move, it hurt more, uh, which should have been my first hint. But, uh, you you know, we jump ahead like maybe 15, 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, the pain's gone. It's just gone. I'm fine. I feel better than I did before, you know? And, uh, you know, the... The first thing I did was I I ate those damn White Castle hamburgers. So <laughs> no lesson was learned. I learned zero lesson uh, by this quote unquote uh, near death experience. I uh, I didn't learn any sort of uh, moral about taking better care of myself. Even though I swore while I was down there that uh, I, if I get out of this, I need to take better care of myself. But I I kind of rationalized. Uh, Going back to the junk food because I wasn't as heavy as I'd ever been at that point. I, I was, I had been heavier before that day, and and we'll get to that in in just a little bit here. We go to the next day. 
uh, the very next day, and I was uh, driving down to uh, the, pl- the the school where my wife teaches. She had uh, she had left something at home that uh, she needed for the day, so I ran down there and dropped it off. And on the way home, I made it about maybe like a quarter mile away from our house, and there's a uh, I had to make a left turn onto uh, like the main drag by where our neighborhood is, and I sat there, you know, the light was red, I got the green arrow to make the left turn, and as I'm pulling out to make the turn, somebody comes barreling from the other side and misses me probably by less than a foot, and uh, stops, just stomps on the brakes, we both stomp on our brakes, and... uh, like, I don't think I could have shimmied through the space between our cars when we were both stopped. I, mean, I got so close that I could see the color of this woman's eyes. And it felt like we were staring at each other for like 20 minutes. I, I know it was probably a fraction of a second, but it felt like we were staring at each other for a very long time until finally I just waved her on. I'm like, go, go, you need to go so I can turn. <laughs> and she finally gets, you know, gets back on the gas and goes, and I make my turn. Uh, I get home and uh, immediately run to the bathroom to do a little uh, heaving. Uh, that was uh, one of those stomach-in-your-throat sort of moments. And uh, the thing, if, you, if you've ever recorded with me uh, on, uh, you know, over Skype or whatever for a show, uh, it's not exactly a secret that I have three very loud dogs. You know, my dogs are very, very loud. They react to everything. Uh, they're tiny dogs, which makes them even louder somehow. But uh, they're very loud. Uh, and when I get home from... if Whenever I get home or whenever the wife gets home, they go nuts. You know, they bounce all over the floor, all over the walls. They're just crazy with excitement and very piercing barks. Uh, it, it's to the point where I'm sure if... If my smallest dog, if uh, Penny, it realizes that another dog is being petted within five miles, she starts barking because, you know, she has to have all the attention from everybody within, within earshot. Unfortunately, but uh, you know, I get home after this, uh, after this near miss, and I don't. The dogs don't react. You know, they don't react at all. And, and you're gonna find out just how insane I am and just how overactive my imagination is right now. So I, I finish up in the bathroom and I, I go into the uh, into the living room, and the dogs are just laying there. They they're just not a care in the world. They it's like it's like I never even came home. They didn't even notice that I was there. And I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, that's pretty strange. And uh, I think I went and I got myself a, a soda or something. And then all of a sudden, I hear this very loud bang, just a just a huge bang, and I didn't know what it was. And I, I, we have uh, one of the walls in our living room is almost completely glass going into the backyard. So it's it's a huge, huge window or it's a huge triple sliding door sort of a situation. But uh, it came from that direction. This big clang came from that from that direction. So I ran over to the door and I see this little bird laying on the patio. So the bird had flown into the window and hit the ground, you know, or hit the window and then hit the ground. And uh, the dogs didn't even acknowledge this. You know, the, usually if, you know, if a butterfly goes through the backyard, they're going crazy. But this time a bird actually smashed into the window and the dogs didn't even, you know, didn't even notice it. So I go to the patio and the bird gets up and flies away. 
Like, oh, okay, good. It didn't die. So that's good. I don't have to, you know, dispose of a bird. That's <laughs> that's always a good day when you don't have to dispose of a bird. So uh, I go back inside, and then not a minute later, another clang. And the dogs don't, don't acknowledge this clang either. And I go back over, and there's this, maybe the same bird, maybe a different bird, but it was just standing on the patio. And I swear, and this is part of my insanity and very active imagination, I swear the sucker was looking at me. I, I like looking up at me. And I was like, okay, this is getting weird, you know. This is getting very, very strange. But it flies away. Go back to making, or pouring my soda or whatever the hell I was doing in the kitchen, and then a third clang. And I'm like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. This bird really wants to get inside. And then I'm thinking, like, is it trying to get to me? You know, the dogs don't even acknowledge that I'm here. Maybe I'm not. You know, I was totally losing my mind here. And I'm thinking I'm like in this like final destination sort of a scenario where I was supposed to die yesterday. You know, when I hit the ground after that, those sharp pains in my chest, that I was supposed to die. But I didn't. And uh, maybe this bird was coming to get me. And uh, your mind, or my mind, just goes to these insane lengths to rationalize you know, there, there's no such thing as, as a coincidence to me sometimes, uh, especially when the worst-case scenario is something that's really bad. So I was just really, really weirded out by this. I, I even, like, texted the wife. I'm like, are you getting my text? And she's like, yeah, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> are you crazy? But, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm still alive, and, and this bird was not coming for me. And uh, the dogs acknowledged my presence a few minutes later, and everything <laughs> worked out okay. But uh, yeah, you know that was uh, much more embarrassing in the telling than I was uh, than I was sure it was going to be. I thought that was going to be a quirky story when it's really just a strange and cringy one. But uh, uh, you know, be that as it may, I survived. This bird didn't come and get me and take me to wherever it was going to take me. So. Everything was cool, but I decided then and there that I really need to do something about getting into shape, you know, taking better care of myself, because, you know, I was I was a real wake-up call the day before, and then this <laughs> stupid bird <laughs> really just, uh, really just put a cherry on it, you know, it was just like, okay, this is, maybe this is something I really need to, uh, address, I really need to deal with this, and, uh, for the first time in a long time, I actually got on a scale and I found out that I was 231 pounds, which, uh, like I said earlier, it wasn't as heavy as I've ever been, but it also wasn't what I wanted to be either because I, I felt every bit of that weight. Um, it was to the point where, you know, it's like yeah, you, you hear like those comparisons like, you know, putting a Band-Aid on a broken bone or something like that because, you know, a Band-Aid ain't going to fix a broken bone. Uh, so instead of me addressing the root cause of of not feeling well, and, and I had like 24-hour heartburn uh, back back then. I, I was always popping Tums or Rolaids or whatever I could get my hands on, Walmart, generic brand, whatever. Anything I could take to assuage this, just this searing heartburn. It was to the point where like I couldn't sleep at night. I had, like, strategically placed bottles of antacid strewn all over the house. So no matter where I was, I wouldn't have to walk far to take an antacid or two or three or four or five. 
And uh, instead of just dealing with the fact that my diet was garbage, I wasn't taking care of myself, I wasn't active, I decided just to take Tums all day, every day. I had, you know, like the giant, you know, family size, should take you a year to get through bottle on my nightstand, and I would go through it in a week, you know, um... I don't know if maybe it, maybe it made my bones stronger. Maybe it made my bones bigger because <laughs> of all the calcium. I don't know. But uh, the point is, I I didn't want to see uh, that that I had a problem with uh, with my diet and with exercise because when you notice something, then you you kind of have to make that decision: Are you going to act on it? Are you going to deal with it? Or are you just going to push it aside? And being a guy who has trouble committing to anything, I, I didn't want to come to that decision. But ultimately, I, I came around to the idea that, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to try to be a little bit healthier. Now, I've had uh, issues with my weight my entire life, but on two different ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, growing up and all through high school, I was always the uh, the kid that the doctor would say, you need to gain 10 pounds, you know, because I was very, very small, and very, very skinny, uh, very, very uh, wiry, I guess. I don't know. But it was to the point where, like, when we did, uh, when we had wrestling in gym class, I, I would, there would be no one that I could partner up with. So I would have to wrestle, like, one or two weight classes above where I was, which uh, led to some interesting results. But uh, I couldn't... I, I couldn't keep up weight-wise. Uh, I was short until, uh, until like, senior year. I was, like, 5'1". I was very, very small. And then I just, you know, relatively speaking, I shot up to, you know, 5'10", 5'11", wherever I am now. Depends on what shoes I'm wearing or uh, <laughs> what ruler I'm using. I don't know. Um, but I was very, very small. And uh, I just couldn't even pack on weight if I wanted to. And I did want to. Um, I remember... I went to business school that was uh, sharing a building with uh, a nursing school back in 1999 or so, and uh, the business students would go and basically be guinea pigs for the nurses. So they would go through vitals, you know, check the uh, check our what is that uh, the the heart the blood pressure. Uh, they would you know check the heart rate. They would check pulse. They would uh, check weight and height and all that kind of stuff and. I remember just being mortified. I was 19 or 20 years old, and I get on the scale, and I was like 130 pounds. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, I, I, should, I wanted to be like 40 pounds heavier than that at that point. But, uh, you know, I was very, very slight. And uh, I would remain that way until, uh, I mean, tale as old as time. I, I met my wife, or the woman who would become my wife. And uh, then I suddenly started packing on weight. And I also was working overnights. So, uh, things like fast food were no longer a, not that, the, not that fast food is ever like a treat <laughs> or it shouldn't be, but you know, you'd go to, you'd go to McDonald's once a week or twice a month or something and it would be a nice little change of pace. But, uh, when you work overnights, uh, the, it becomes less about the, the flavor or the novelty and becomes all about the convenience so, you know, when you're going into work at 11 o'clock at night and you're not getting out until like 7 or 8 in the morning, it's just so much easier to drive, go through a drive-thru, pick something up and eat it on the way instead of... Because you it, like the idea of going home and then making breakfast and then going to bed, it, it just it just didn't compute in my head. So 
my life just became whatever fast food was around, uh, whatever, whatever drive through line wasn't too long. And, uh, you know, that really, really, really catches up to you quick when you're, I mean, this is like that supersize me documentary before that supersize me documentary happened. It was just, uh, whatever, whatever fast food I can get my hands on just to fill the void, regardless of how it tasted or whether or not I even wanted it. It just became about fueling and, uh, and getting through the work night. So, before I knew it, I was up around 200 pounds. I'd put on like 70 pounds of fat. <laughs> and it was just uh, really, really bad. Um, I, I would I would get over 200 pounds. I, I think I hit around 215 or so. Um, and then I crash dieted. Which to me meant the only thing I would eat was Cheerios. And it wasn't even the honey nut kind. It was just regular Cheerios, no milk, no nothing. It was that's all I would eat was Cheerios because I wanted to get under two hundred pounds again. And I managed to get to two hundred and one pounds. This was uh, around the time that I was working for that recycling outfit that I've mentioned a time or two before. Uh, we had decided to to start buying uh, materials over a scale. We were going to pay by scale, so. We bought this uh, this huge industrial scale, and uh, and it became like a routine for me and the uh, warehouse manager to head over and just weigh ourselves, because I hadn't stepped on a scale in years, probably, uh, not out of avoidance or anything. Just it never, it's just never something I thought to do. So we get this new this new high tech highfalutin scale put in in our warehouse, and I go and I step on it, and I'm you know two fifteen, and I. I could have sworn that I'd been. I I I would have sworn. I would have bet money that uh, that I would have been like maybe 180, 185. You know, because I'm like, oh yeah, I gained weight for sure. So I got to be in like the 180s now. And then when I step on there and it's 215, it was just a a real gobsmack moment. And uh, and that's when I crash dieted with the uh, with the Cheerios. There is all I bought was Cheerios and I drank water. And uh, I managed to get down to 201, like I said, but I couldn't quite break under 200. And when you're on the scale every day for weeks at a time and you're stuck at 201 or stuck just above where you want to be, it, it's real easy to quit. You know, it's easy to just give up. It's easy to celebrate the win that you did lose some weight, but... You did, even though you didn't accomplish your goal, you're you're still kind of justified in the fact that okay, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be because I'm not losing any more weight, and and you know you quit, and uh, you know it's something you you can regret later on, but in the moment, it's a you know it feels like the right thing to do, so it's what you do, and so over the next several years, I would fluctuate in weight, but. I would never get under 200 pounds. It was always, you know, somewhere between 201, usually closer to 210. And uh, the day I got married, I was uh, I was 240, and uh, really not, not not digging the way I felt or the way I looked. That would have been 2008 uh, that I got married, and then uh, I started school in 2011. And I mentioned last week when I talked about sitting on that guy's desk, I did refer to myself as having a fat ass, and uh, I did very much have a fat ass at that point in time. But uh, 
if, if you've been to uh, if you've if you've gone to school, you might have heard of something called the freshman fifteen, and it's a uh, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. You, you when you're a freshman, you gain fifteen pounds because. Well, kind of like the stuff I had already mentioned, you know, fast food becomes a way of life. Uh, a lot of kids, this is their first time away from home, so they could just eat whatever, or they could just not be as active as they were because they're because they're away from home, or they're busy uh, with classwork, or they might have uh, discovered alcohol, or just have access to it. So, during your freshman year, you, you gain 15 pounds. Uh, well, I sidestepped that, and... Uh, yeah, I was more like the senior 70, I guess. Um, because, like I said, I fluctuated, but uh, it was always above 200. But uh, when I did graduate, and I actually just looked at my graduation pictures uh, not too long ago, I, uh, I wanted to dress up. You know, I wanted to wear a shirt and tie and a nice pair of slacks to my graduation, you know, under the cap and gown. Because uh, I hadn't... I hadn't had a, you know, real job, like a, an office job, I should say, in quite a while. Um, all my classes were online, so I didn't really have to dress up for really anything. Uh, I would, I worked part-time work and temp work, and jeans are fine for that, jeans and a polo. And that's basically my uniform, was a, you know, a decent pair of jeans and a polo. A large polo, which we'll get to in just a bit. But, uh... I wanted to dress up, and uh, I went into the closet and found, you know, a nice pair of slacks that I had, and uh, a nice button-up shirt, and uh, my, you know, my dress belt, and none of them fit. None of them fit at all, and the most embarrassing part was my belt didn't fit. I, I actually didn't have a belt that could wrap around me, and I, it was just another one of those... You know, you kick yourself in the in in the ass moments where it was just like, wow, this is not good. But I ignored it. I was like, oh, okay, I just guess I just need to go buy a new belt, <laughs> and so I did. And for the first time, I bought a belt from like the the big guy collection or the big guy section, where you know when you're in the when you're an average size, you have a lot of options. But when you move into the you know the big guy sizes, you have fewer options and. Uh, and so I just picked the closest belt that looked like something that I would wear, and it didn't fit. I actually had to I actually had to bore another hole into this belt to make it fit, which you'd think that would have been enough to make me want to change the way I was doing things, but it didn't. It didn't, and I, I bought a pair of pants that I think were like a 46 waist, which were still kind of snug. And, I mean, growing up, I was a 30 or a 29 waist. And here I am at a 46. Ugh. It was just way too much for me. But I uh, I bought them, and I didn't even think twice. It was like, okay, these fit, kind of. They're a little snug, but they I can get away with it. And I bought a double XL shirt. <laughs> and I, I would sometimes buy double XLs just because I like wearing baggy clothes. You know, when I was skinny, when I was super skinny, I would buy baggier clothes just to hide the fact that I was so skinny. So I would buy larges when I should have been wearing mediums, or I should I would buy extra larges when I should have just been buying larges, just to, I don't know, give myself some texture, I guess. Give myself a little bit of uh, an appearance of size, because I was, you know, very scrawny. So I'd buy these, uh, these, this new outfit, I'd go and... Uh, 
go through the graduation, had pictures taken. Uh, we did go to uh, this awesome little uh, Coney Island hot dog stand out there in Indiana and uh, took a few pictures in there. And I, and I recently came across these pictures, and I was just a mountain of a man. I was just very, very heavy. Uh, and it's weird because I, I don't remember being that big. Uh, but I was because I, I, you know, the evidence was right there. Uh, but still, even even after seeing these pictures, I didn't think about it. You know, back in the day, I didn't even think about the idea that I had a problem with my weight, and uh, and because nobody nobody even said anything about it. You know, you figure if you gain a lot of weight and you don't see people for a little while, they might be like, "Wow, you put on some weight." But uh, I guess society or culture has just gotten a little too polite, even even inside the uh, the walls of a family. You know where. You'd kind of hope somebody would tell you, hey, you know, you might want to do something about that, but uh, politeness abounds, and uh, they don't. So, gonna go, gonna jump ahead a few more weeks here, and uh, we were in the middle of summer, and this was 2017, uh, and I wanted to buy some new shirts because it was hot, and my other shirts have been, you know, I had them for a while. I don't do clothes shopping very often. I, I don't enjoy it, so what I tend to do is I'll go to, like, one of the outlet malls. I'll, like, go into, like, the Van Hughes and Outlet Store, and I'll buy enough shirts to get me through a year or two <laughs> so I don't have to go shopping again. And uh, that's what the plan was, you know. I was going to go down, because, yeah, I mean, you can get shirts for, like, six bucks, and they and they look nice, you know. So that was the plan. Go down to a Van Hughes and... and and pick out some shirts, uh, and I picked out a double X, a two X, you know, double XL, and uh, because that's the size that I I was getting to be, even though I was wearing a lot of double XLs at that time just for the bagginess. Uh, th- at this point, it was less about bagginess and more about okay, I need to find something that fits on me, and so I took a few double XLs into the you know the dressing room to try them on, and it was like. It was like putting, you know, it was like filling a sausage, you know. It was, uh, I, I was having trouble fitting into a 2XL. And I don't know what it was, but it, in that moment, I realized that this, you know, this has to change. You know, I was just, I was mortified at the, at the idea that I wasn't going to be able to fit into a double XL Because uh, I didn't know if they made triple XLs, you know. I didn't, I'm like, what's next? Where am I, where am I going to wind up? And uh, so I left without buying anything, and for the first time ever, I was self-conscious about my weight, and I felt like people were looking at me, you know, and nobody was. I mean, I, I'm, you know, the average weight now is, is a lot different than it was, and uh, I don't think I particularly stand out in, in any way, but in that moment, I felt like everybody's eyes on me, and I felt like they all knew that I was putting these shirts back because I, I was too big for them. And, which is ridiculous, but it's just you know you get into that mindset, you get uh, you get embarrassed, and suddenly all eyes are on you, and they they know what you're thinking. And, you know they don't, but you think they do. So it was in that moment that I realized, okay, we we got to do something here. And uh, my first instinct was to hop back onto the Cheerios diet to try to drop some weight, uh, and Cheerios did. Re-enter my uh, my diet, my regular diet. But uh, the uh, my main problem, and if you know me, uh, 
or if you follow me on on social media, if you, I have a real weakness to uh, to cookies. I love cookies. Uh, they are you know they are Christianite. You know they are what what floors me every time. And uh, and I also uh, though not as obvious, I love pop tarts. Pop tarts are, are they're garbage, but I love them. And uh, when they make like cookie flavors of pop tarts, I'm in deep dark trouble because uh, that's basically. You know, that, that's them watching me on a screen being like, okay, this guy will eat them and he'll buy a lot of them. And so I uh, went home and I got rid of several boxes of Pop-Tarts uh, because I, I knew that that was going to be it for me. But I did leave one box because I wanted it there as a temptation. And I wanted to see if I could do it. But uh, what I did was I, I just started eating nothing but like vegetables and uh, lean meat and, and you know, dieting is uh, it's it's one of those things where it's simple, but it's not easy because I mean you could tell anyone how to lose weight, but just the fact that you know you have to do it is the problem. I knew all along that I needed to eat less. I needed to eat less sugar, but I chose not to. You know, it's simple, but it's not easy. So over the course of the next several months, I stuck to this you know hardcore diet. And I got down to uh, from oh that that I didn't even tell you the weight I was when I post graduation I was 252 pounds which was the heaviest as far as I know the heaviest that I'd ever been I might have been a couple pounds more on a day I didn't get on a scale but from my tracking time 252 was as high as I got and uh, and I'm actually happy about that because I feel like. Had I been just three pounds lighter than that, I probably would have made, been able to like justify not losing weight because I still would have been closer to 200 than I would have been to three. It's just how my, my brain works. It's very strange. Uh, despite all of the humiliation that I imposed on myself when I couldn't fit into a shirt, I think I still would have like rationalized that, you know, I'm still closer to 200 than 300, so maybe I don't need to take this as seriously as maybe I should. But the fact that I was closer to 300 than I was to 200 was one of those things that really stuck with me. And so over the next several months, I was able to whittle the weight down to 206 pounds. So I dropped almost 50 pounds. Uh, still could not break the 200, uh, you know, the, the line. I couldn't get under 200 pounds. And I had, this was... Like a prolonged crash diet. You know, very little sugar, very little carbs, just whatever, besides the Cheerios, which are almost entirely uh, sugar and carbs. But uh, one of the main things that I added to my diet was uh, was seltzer, flavored waters and flavored sparkling waters. and Because, uh, you know, sometimes you just need, you know, you need carbonation, or I do. Uh, just drinking you know, straight water all the time just ain't ideal to me. I... Uh, get tired of that pretty quick. So now that there's, you know, an abundance of uh, flavored seltzes, you know, you're, I know LaCroix is kind of a meme online for some stupid reason. I don't know why people seem to have a problem with it. it I, I like it a lot. Um, uh, to the point now where regular soda is a little too sweet for me because I've been just drinking this stuff for so damn long now. But, uh, you know, like I said, I got down to 206 pounds, couldn't break under 200. Then... As it always does, uh, you know, holidays happened, and we moved house. Uh, we had our house uh, built, and we moved in right before Halloween. And uh, then the holidays hit, and I mean, it's hard enough to hold to a diet 
on a regular day, but when there's, you know, pies and turkeys and all sorts of great stuff to eat, it's, uh, it's damn near impossible. Um, I was, I, I'm actually quite proud that I was able to abstain from breaking the diet on Halloween. Um, the new neighborhood we moved into, when, as the house was being built, we would drive through, and we saw that there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and the wife got very excited about actually being able to hand out candy on Halloween. So that was like our first, you know, milestone day in the house. Uh, I think we moved in like a week before Halloween, but uh, she was looking forward to Halloween just just so she could give out candy, because everywhere we'd lived before that, very few kids in the neighborhood, and Halloween was just a non-event, and, uh, and she just loves Halloween. So we get, and she wanted to like do it up really good. She wanted like the full size, uh, you know, peanut butter cups and all that good stuff. So we fill this giant plastic pumpkin with these peanut butter cups on on uh, Halloween uh, 2017, and nobody comes. You know, the 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 neighborhood was still in the process of being built. So I don't know if uh, if families just you know trucked their kids into other completed neighborhoods to do their walks, but. Uh, I was left with probably a couple hundred uh, peanut butter cups, and I figured, okay, this is you know I'm done now. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably eat all these in a couple days, but uh, I didn't. I didn't. I I actually stuck to the diet, and I I avoided uh, the lore of the peanut butter cup, which is one of those uh, one of the hardest things I've probably ever done. But uh, you know, the holidays did hit, and I did I did indulge, and. Uh, and after the holidays, I didn't gain that much more weight. I think I put on like maybe two or three pounds. So I figured, oh, you know, I could probably, and here comes the rationalization again, easy for me to say. Here comes the justification again. I, 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 could, I could cheat and not gain weight. Well, you know, cheating, we, we mention here on the show probably too often that, you know, there is a new normal, you know. And uh, when cheating is the new normal, and all of a sudden it just becomes the normal, that I am, you know, buying uh, bags of Fritos again, or I am, you know, cooking with lesser quality meat, or I'm not eating the vegetables, or I'm just, or I'm drinking actual soda, because uh, one of uh, one of my weaknesses is ginger ale, I love ginger ale, and uh, diet ginger ale just doesn't do it for me, it has to be, you know, real ginger ale. Especially around the holidays, because they'll do like the cranberry ginger ales, and oh man, those are just oh, I love them, I love them, and uh, it's just a real weakness for me. So uh, that new normal becomes the normal, and you start falling into your old habits again. And uh, if we flash forward to the the day in May where I toppled to the ground, I had gotten back up to around two hundred and thirty pounds, and I felt every bit of it. I was back on heartburn medicine. I was back on omeprazole and antacids because omeprazole are those, like those pills you take once a day that are supposed to just totally take care of your your heartburn forever. You know, you take them once a day and you don't ever get heartburn. I was to the point where I was taking those once a day and still having to take tums for the residual heartburn, and uh, which just goes to tell you how how poor my diet was. But uh, we jumped to that day in May where I toppled down, and I was 232, 233-ish, and really figured, okay, need to get back on this again, and I have stuck to it at this time ever since. I mean, we're at August, we're at the end of August, and I've been on this diet for over three months now, and uh, I have officially, 
broken back into the 100s. As uh, as I record this now, I'm at 195 pounds, 194 pounds. Feel better than I have in probably over a decade. I probably look a decade younger than I did uh, <laughs> because uh, weight and a beard, a weight and a gray beard really age you. Uh, let me tell you. But uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's the story of my. My overactive imagination uh, telling me that I was going to die. Uh, uh, to uh, to put a pin in that, it was actually when I turned, I, I guess I just pulled a muscle in my shoulder blade, which resonated through the front part of my body and made it feel like my chest was going to explode. Uh, and this, uh, this uh, malady or this uh, muscle pull... It all came from slinging long boxes. I, I have a lot. I have like a laundry list of long box related injury, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to down the road. Uh, you just got to be careful with the uh, with the long boxes, especially when you get into a rhythm and you're moving and you're restacking, and uh, uh, they seem to get lighter as you go along. But you're really just putting a lot of stress on your back, especially if you're twisting while you're moving things, and. Uh, you know, I, I've taken so many OSHA classes on how to lift properly. You get to get you have to get that refreshed every so often when you're working in like in industrial areas. But damned if I learned a thing. You know, I still I'll still lift with my back and twist and torque and just not a good uh, not a good way to do business when you're dealing with uh, overstuffed long boxes. But I guess I might have them to thank for this wake up call uh, to help me to. Uh, Put myself in, in motion here again Make myself lose a little bit of weight And get down to uh, to a healthier size than I was uh, My only problem now is that none of my none of my big guy clothes fit So I need to, uh, unfortunately, hit up the outlet mall again And uh, start refilling in the wardrobe But uh, I think that'll do it for this portion of the program uh, Now, believe it or not, we've got a comic book to discuss Actually, we've got Two comic books to discuss We're going to take a look at the first issues From both volumes of Resurrection Man from DC Comics I figure that's a good one for immortality Or an immortal themed Superblog team up So I'm going to send it over to the horns And then we will start with the 1997 version Of Resurrection Man Resurrection Man number one Cover dated May 1997 uh, This has a very weird cover uh, It's got a giant skull staring at you But then instead of uh, Like in the eye socket There's like a lenticular pog So it's uh, Not quite as heinous As the uh, as the gem On uh, the cover of Eclipso number one Or Eclipso the Darkness within number one Where it puts like a nice dent Into whatever book you put in front of it This is a uh, more flat but it's still weird, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is like a, another instance of DC being behind the times. I mean, this is 1997, and we're getting a lenticular pog, I don't know. Uh, now this one, uh, it was written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Artist was, uh, Butch Geis. Colorist Carla Feeney. Lettered by Ken Lopez and edited by Eddie Berganza. And this one opens with a man who just realized he could fly. He found out as he dove in front of some children to stop them from being riddled with holes by a drive-by shooting. This, as you might imagine, causes our man to take the incoming fire himself. He falls from the overpass and into a junkyard below, and as he plummets, his life flashes before his eyes. When he lands, however, he is somehow alive. 
Without much of a clue as to who he is, our man checks his surroundings. Around him are the first issues of Tales Calculated to Drive You Mad and Action Comics. So this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty cool uh, junkyard. Uh, he's not interested in any of that, though. Uh, what actually catches his attention is a Betty Boop snow globe. Uh, I don't know about you, but Betty Boop has always kind of freaked me out. I, I don't know if it's the shape of her head, or I- she just always kind of skeeved me out. Uh, I don't know. I-, I think if this were me who just ran into this snow globe, I'd already be several counties away at this point. But uh, for our fella here, this just causes him to uh, trigger into flashback land. Uh, He enters into nearby Crucible City, and he tries to find a library. He's summarily kicked out for being a transient. He does look a little transienty. A librarian named Irma pulls him aside and tells him to come back that evening, uh, because she'll help him out, and uh, he does just that. Together, they learn that he was a man, a lawyer named Mitchell Shelley, and he'd been reported dead as a victim of a gas main explosion. He also finds out that he's married, which uh, puts a crimp in whatever plans he might have had for Ms. Irma here. Nearby, we meet a man with painted nails as he washes up in a rest stop bathroom. He's hitchhiking toward Crucible City, and, uh, oh yeah, he's killing everybody who uh, gives him a ride, so he's uh, not the guy you want to pick up. Back in the city, Irma has taken Mitch to her night job. Lucky for him, she works at the Eisner Eiger Mission, or something, uh... You know, people who've listened to uh, the Cosmic Treadmill and uh, Weird Comics History know the uh, Eisner Eager, Eiger, Eiger, easy for me to say, Eisner Eiger <laughs> was one of those uh, early comics production houses. Uh, there, Mitch gets cleaned up and fed, and he learns why Irma has been so kind to him. It turns out that her son went missing a few years back, and she'd like to think that somebody out there has shown him some kindness, so she's going to show our man Mitch a little as well. Then... A duo known as the Body Doubles show up. Uh, they ride over in a cringetastically gaudy SUV, and they're on the hunt for their John. Uh, the blonde Body Double looks to be uh, quite the Shawn Michaels fan. She's dressed very gaudily. It's a uh, <laughs> she's got like the heartbreak thing on her shirt. It's it's very uh, it's very of its time. Uh, the brunette exits the Dayglow Boogie Van, and they head into the mission. They are, of course, looking for Mitch. He and Irma split out the back door, while the brunette starts slaughtering everyone who gets in her way. Outside, the blonde wastes no time in filling Irma full of holes. She's dead, and uh, Mitch, guilty conscience and all, takes off into the night. Well, not before exhibiting some new hardened air powers. But then he takes off. Going all the way to Scooter's gas farm, where uh, stories of the resurrection man who saved those kids from the drive-by shooting are being shared already. Just then, a fuel-hauling truck careens into the gas pumps outside. Without thinking, Mitch rushes outside and holds his hand up to the truck, and it stops. He yoinks the driver out of the seat and carries him to safety before the whole thing goes up in flames. Days later, we return to Scooters, and people are being questioned about the strange hero. We learn that the body it's the body doubles who are asking these questions, and they're eventually taken to the morgue. While there, they discover nothing. Three days later, and the tomb is empty. We wrap up by rejoining Mitch, now exhibiting some fire-related powers as he exits Crucible City. Now, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, I might just be a sucker for, like, on-the-run sort of stories. Uh, I also, you know, I have a weakness for amnesia stories, too. I I play a lot of uh, Japanese role-playing games, and uh, 
more often than not, they have a lot to do with amnesia. Uh, but I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, the action here is pretty hot and heavy. Uh, we actually get to see our man die twice, with a mention of a third time even before that. Uh, I, I don't know that this will be the pace going forward in the ongoing series, but uh, it really serves its purpose here in establishing you know, just what Resurrection Man is all about. Uh, each time he dies, I mean, in a nutshell, each time he dies, he receives a new power. The first time in the gas main explosion, he got flight. After the drive-by shooting, he got, you know, that hardened air gimmick. Uh, and after the tanker explosion, he uh, he got one of those, you know, those things. If, you, if you're a Laurel and Hardy fan like I am, you know, like, sometimes Stan will, like, do this thing where he gives a thumbs up and, like, his thumb will be f- on fire, like he's, like, flicking a lighter. I, th- I think that's what our man Mitch got here this time, and you can't go wrong with that. Uh, we meet Mitch's main, as far as we know, bad guys in the body doubles, but we really don't know what they're all about just yet, and I think that's fair enough. At this point, all we really need to know is that they're bad, they refer to him as their John, <laughs> and they're on his tail. Now, we also have that hitchhiker who's been you know, killing people along the way, but we don't know a whole lot about him, but that's fine. Uh, Irma's death kind of comes out of nowhere. Though, uh, he did split before we got any kind of confirmation that she did, in fact, die. Uh, also, since she mentioned that she has her missing son, Robbie, uh, disappeared a few years earlier, it's probably not outside the realm of possibility that he and Mitch might eventually cross paths. Uh, really enjoyed the art here. Um, I feel like I have this odd reaction anytime I see uh, Butch Geis's name on a project, and I'm really not sure why. I, I always kind of... Mentally pigeonhole him into being like a ho-hum 80s fill-in artist But uh, he's really quite good I don't know why his name always just uh, evokes such a reaction to me Because it's it couldn't be further from the truth um, Now overall I would say this is definitely worth a look uh, This is uh, one of those books that really doesn't show up in the cheapo bins by me very often I don't have a full collection of this or a full run um, The late 90s in DC were a lot of fun Uh and you, it's not too terribly often that you run across full runs of these things in the bins. Uh, I think about books like Resurrection Man and uh, things like Chase. Chase was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Young Heroes in Love, which uh, Reggie and I discussed on an episode of The Treadmill a while back. Just is really uh, experimental time for DC in the post-boom era. You know, just even like things like Kronos, uh, all those just weird off-center Sort of books. Uh, it was a very fun time uh, in DC Comics, and it's a time that I that I'm kind of uh, nostalgic for, even though I didn't experience it firsthand. I just like the idea of these weird books just being out there, and uh, a major bummer, even you know, all those just weird, weird books. Um, but that'll do it for the first part of this, uh, the comic review portion. Uh, we're gonna hop over to the horns, and we're gonna take a look at the post New Fifty Two Resurrection Man. <laughs> weird i was just waxing nostalgic about uh the experimental time that was the late 90s at dc comics and uh we're about to look at one of the most experimental times in in recent dc history with the new 52 here and uh i'm not quite as nostalgic for that (laughs) what we have here and and resurrection man just seemed like such an out of nowhere pick to be a launch book for the new 52 uh it was definitely up there with things like you know voodoo and grifter and uh, other things that were Wildstorm-related, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Resurrection Man was always mainstream DC. But just uh, seemed like such a weird pick. Such a strange pick. But uh, 
Let's get into it here. We got Resurrection Man, Volume 2, Number 1, cover dated November 2011. Story is called Pronounced Dead, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, just like the first time around. Art by Fernando Dagnino, uh, colored by Santi Arcus, lettered by Rob Lay, edited by Eddie Berganza and Rex Ogle, and had a cover price of $2.99. So this one opens with our friend Mitch waking up at the morgue. That is, uh, waking up from being dead, of course. He doesn't. This doesn't seem to surprise him, so we might assume that this isn't his first time coming back. He mentions that he has the taste of metal in his mouth as he breaks into a doctor's locker and steals his identification and credit cards. Next thing we know, Mitch is at an airport and he's headed to Portland. Why? Well, he, he doesn't know. It's just a compulsion to do so. It would seem that with each resurrection our man is given, he's give, in addition to getting a new power, he also gets a new mission, which, uh, I mean, remains nebulous until it, you know, all falls into place. At the airport, he pays particular attention to the other passengers getting on the plane here, but, uh, but still, a woman who uh, he didn't notice uh, winds up sitting next to him. He, uh, de- he describes her as being, quote, hot in a gaga kind of way. It's a uh, woman with long blonde hair and a teardrop tattoo. And as I said, he didn't even see her get on the plane, and yet, here she is. So she sits next to him, and she tells him all about the other passengers, things about what's compelling them to come to Portland. Mitch thinks this is just like a flirty game, so he plays along. Things then turn deadly serious when Gaga Woman informs him that his soul is, quote, overdue. Oh yeah, she also transforms into this crazy half-demon, half-angel thing, so there's, I guess there's that too. Uh, Mitch takes the fight outside as to keep the other passengers safe. I mean, the, the roof of the plane is torn off, so uh, unless Superman's in the area or Mitch's new power is being Superman, these uh, poor folks are about to wind up, you know, getting sucked out and thrown on that island with the smoke monster. Remember how I said that Mitch had this metal taste in his mouth? Well, that's about to come home to roost right here. Mitch grabs the angel-slash-demon, and his newfound magnetic field gets them both zapped by lightning. Then he gets sucked into one of the plane's engines, and he, along with everyone else on board dies. He wakes up in a forest, so maybe he did uh, land on that island from Lost. No, no, these woods are on fire. And as he runs, we see one of the lazier New 52 number one Pandora cameos. She's just there behind a tree. Uh, He notices a group of firefighters and engages in his new power of uh, turning into water. It looks kind of like Hydro Man. Uh, back in the city we started in, the new-look body doubles have arrived at the coroner's office in search of their, quote, John. Uh, this time it's John Doe. Uh, not sure that was clear. It's not the other kind of John. Uh, they're uh, pretty crazy. They question people while they're being gagged, and when they don't spill the beans because, you know, they're gagged, they get killed. Back in the woods, we see that one of the firefighters has that same Gaga teardrop tattoo, and so the chase will continue. It's also alluded to that this might turn into a war between heaven and hell for Mitch Shelley's soul, or at the very least, a bidding war. We close out with a look at Madame Xanadu as she flips through a tarot deck, which is pretty much all she ever does. Uh, She's puzzled that no matter how many times she shuffles, the Resurrection Man always comes back. Now this take on Resurrection Man, while a bit different, at least as far as I've read through both series, is still really good. I really, really dug this. Uh, this time around, Mitch is uh, used to the resurrection routine, so he's been dying and coming back. And he's got a grasp on everything that comes along with it. It's kind of like a uh, like they're giving it a quantum leap approach, where every time he leaps into a new life, there's a mission that he's got to complete. 
Here, he was given a metal magnetic power thing, likely with the express purpose of facing off against that teardrop angel demon thing. Now, during the brouhaha, the Gaga gal tells Mitch a thing or two about fate. She informs him that none of the passengers were ever supposed to arrive in Portland anyway. The plane was always going to crash, which I suppose might assuage Mitch's guilt in the situation a little bit. Uh, just like uh, in the first volume, we do get more than one Resurrections this time, uh, which I wouldn't expect to be the norm going forward. Though this title does unfortunately get canned pretty quickly with the New 52, so perhaps they are going to rack up the body count throughout, who knows. Uh, the art here is really good, definitely suits the tone of this darker DC, you know. I really, really dug it. Coloring was really nice, too. Uh, just like the pencils, it went from like a kind of muted, but not in a vertigo sort of way, to more bombastic and, and back and forth again. Uh, it's kind of a shame that this book couldn't find an audience either time. Uh, it's a pretty interesting concept and an overall fun read. Uh, including the missions uh, and a potential war between heaven and hell, it really ups the sense of urgency here and adds to the mythos of the Resurrection Man character without really contradicting anything that came before. I'd say that you could definitely check this one out. It's a very short run, 13 issues. I think it was a 12 issues and a zero. Uh, like a lot of the uh, first cancellations from the New 52. Uh, and I think you'd be able to find it, you know, not without breaking the bank or without breaking your back. Uh, it's, I, I don't know how it wraps up. I haven't made it much further than this, but I do like what I have read so far. And I, I especially enjoy the, uh, the opportunity of comparing and contrasting the two takes on the character. And I think it's neat that we're doing this uh, immortal-themed Superblog team-up because I, I can't think of any other reason why I would ever discuss Resurrection Man. <laughs> so uh, I, do, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to uh, take a look at this uh, weird character here. But uh, that'll do it for the uh, review portion here. We're going to hop over to the horns and then we'll have ourselves a hot take. Now, in the spirit of Superblog team-up, I was planning on doing a... Uh, a hot take, taking a look at the initial letters pages following Spider-Man's One More Day, Brand New Day revamp back in 2007-2008. Uh, Charlton Hero, Chris Bailey, he is doing, he's going to be taking a look at the Peter and MJ marriage and relationship and uh, be talking about One More Day for his offering for Superblog Team Up. And I figured it would be neat to do, you know, a little bit of that myself. But here's the thing. I went through the, the letters pages for the first, like, four to six months of the Brand New Day era, and about 95% of the letters were glowing praise. Uh, and the ones that were not were very, very simple drive-by sort of things, where it's like, I'm never reading your poo-poo book again, your book stinks. Very silly and childish stuff, and I'm, I'm sure that was all done by design to, uh, to make, you know, naysayers look, you know, ridiculous. But uh, I, I could have sworn, and this might be a Mandela effect, or it might be uh, me just conflating the online reaction with the letters page reaction, but I could have sworn there was a lot more snark thrown from the editors to the uh, readership, or the then-readership. But uh wasn't the case. It was so much, uh, like, uh, a lot of uh, tipping the cap to Marvel, and a lot of, oh, well, you guys really showed some guts in doing this, and it paid off, yada, 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 and... You know, very, very cherry-picked letters uh, to kind of fit the narrative. And, and, you know, that is kind of the job of an editor. You do spin anything you can do to uh, to not make it look like you're absolutely screwing everything up. 
But uh, I decided against reading just glowing praise about one more day and brand new day. So we're going to jump back over to DC and we're going to take a look at the first letters page from uh, one of my favorite weird comics from back in the 80s, uh, Angel Love. This is the letters page from Angel Love number four, cover dated November 1986. And it's going to be, uh, this is the first time they got letters, or the first time they published letters, so uh, we're going to go through a few and see just how this uh, weird little series was was received back in the day. And we open with a little bit from our uh, writer. It says, hi everybody, thanks so much for writing to Angel. I should probably make it clear here, all these letters are written to Angel Love, the character herself, but (laughs) back to the uh, little bit here. Uh, She was thrilled to get all your letters and tried to write everybody back. But you can't imagine how busy she is with being the star of her own comic book and all. Anyway, she sends her love and kisses and lots of hearts to you. Angel says that after a hard day's work, there's nothing more rewarding than getting a letter from fans who say how much they like her. I just hope all this adulation doesn't go to her head. And now for the letters that you wrote. Some of you are some of them are favorites that don't need a reply, and others I, Barbara Slate, will answer, and still others Angel herself will answer. Thanks for your help in making this letter letters page so much fun for us, and I hope you will continue to read all about Angel Love. So, our first letter comes from Cardigan. It says, Dear Angel Love and Crew, Angel Love is a joy, the kind of book that keeps a smile on my face until that last page. Once again, DC has broken new ground. Is this the same DC that I was bored with a few years ago? My, how things change. Angel, Don's a jerk. Dump him. And keep your nose clean, literally. Hope your series is successful. Now, uh, Don, of course, is Angel's boyfriend or date. I don't know if they were actually an item, but uh, they went out and he was the fella who was going to expose her to cocaine. And uh, yes, he is a jerk. And uh, Cardigan has uh, the right uh, the right idea here in, in getting Angel to, uh, to break up with him here. And... Uh, there is a mention that I hope your series is successful, and that's one that I'm a bit weird about because I was looking at ads for this before it came out, and it was always uh, advertised as an eight-issue series. And I posted that on the uh, blog because I, I did review this entire series on the blog, and Reggie and I did do an, a Cosmic Treadmill episode about it way, way back in the day before we, uh, I think before we exposed you all to our uh, vocal talents. But... Uh, there was a uh, there was a question because I I posted this on on the blog and I got a response from someone who claims to have been involved with the production of the book, and they said that this was Im- intended to be an ongoing series. Uh, I wrote back and I just said that I saw ads before the book was even published saying that it was an eight issue series, and he never replied. But I, I don't know exactly where the where the truth lies there. Uh, I don't know if maybe the ads were uh, maybe being pessimistic or maybe this was a uh, a case where, you know, like any miniseries will become an ongoing series if it sells millions of copies. So maybe it was something like along those lines. But uh, I don't know. I couldn't say with any kind of authority that this was going to go past the eight issues and special or whatever it was. Because it was a, there was a the regular series and then there was an angel of special that tied everything up at the end. Uh, our next letter comes from Stephen A. Zerno, Ph.D. from New York, New York here. He says, Dear Ms. Love, I'm a psychologist who for years has been using comic books when working with troubled children. Very often these children have difficulty expressing their feelings. 
I have found, however, that they are able to project their feelings onto and through comic book characters. Over the years, I've found ample books to use in most of my for most of my patients, but few, in, if in fact any, good ones for younger adolescent girls. In general, the ones on the market geared for that age group are too simplistic, focusing on unrealistic love situations, fashion, or etc. Angel Love appears to be moving in the direction of the more sophisticated and now issues that, which should make it relatable to the population I mentioned. Keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to Angel Love becoming part of my therapeutic arsenal. I think that's pretty awesome. I think that's really cool. And uh, while uh, Angel Love is uh, more now than, you know, maybe an old romance book or uh, something from Marvel's Starline or something like that, uh, it still has, like, it still has this odd innocence to it. And I don't know if that's just the years removed, because, I mean, the 80s were a very long time ago. Uh, but there is like this. Uh, there is no petulance real to it, really to it. Like where I think if this book were written today, you know, you'd cringe so hard your face would stay that's the the way you know you you would stay frozen in cringe. But uh, let's see. Angel did write back to uh, Doctor Zero and says, "I am so happy that you're using me. Imagine as a role model. If at any time in the future I need to see a psychologist, I will give you a call." But who will you use as a role model for me? Think about that one, Doctor. So Angel throws a curveball, as a, as Angel is wont to do. Now our next letter comes from Audie in San Diego. He says, Dear Angel, and, and we come out of the gate here swinging, I am a lonely young man who spends a lot of time reading comic books. You are the greatest breath of fresh air from a miserable and from the miserable and... and bleh, let me start that again. You are the greatest breath of fresh air from the miserable environment that sometimes comes from these stories. Every young heterosexual man dreams of meeting a beautiful, funny person like yourself. <sighs> okay, he continues. Uh, At the University of California, San Diego, where I attend, many girls really tr- try really hard to achieve your looks. Red hair is in, but you don't have to, but you don't have to try. Your first chronicle was superb. I am moving out to New York and expect to face the same problems with roaches that your girlfriends have. Ha ha. A little about myself, if you don't mind. Wow, this is really getting weird. Uh, (laughs) I like going to movies and enjoy all kinds. My studies consist of advanced drama and journalism. One day, if all goes according to plan, I shall be a director on Broadway. Your friends look very supportive. All this world needs is a little love, and I hope they're giving it to you. Musically, I listen to many groups, and right now I'm directing a futuristic adaptation of the opera Madame Butterfly. You are in my thoughts. Perhaps one of your fans will see this letter and contact me. I love you. Oh boy, Artie. And he, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give it out here. But he actually listed his whole address here too, and I don't know what he was hoping for. I, I kind of do know what he was hoping for, but uh, we'll move on to Angel's uh, reply to this. She says, Dear Artie, you sound like such an interesting guy. I am surprised that girls like me aren't standing in line to go out with you. <clears throat> okay. I know they're out there. Maybe you just have to get your nose out of all those comic books and look a little hotter. I'm very flattered that you like me so much. In fact, when I read your letter, my face turned the same color as my hair. I am very happy that you're planning to be a director on Broadway. My roommate Wendy is trying to be an actress. Do you have any advice for her? Now, Wendy, uh, 
uh, Angel's roommate. Uh, she steals the show in every scene she's in. She's she's a blast. I I would have bought a spinoff of uh, just Wendy's stories because Angel was actually kind of a downer <laughs> a lot of the time. She really brought you back to reality where Wendy was just a lot of fun. Very, very fun. Now, our next letter comes from Larry in Elmhurst, New York. It says, Dear Barbara Slate, Now let's see where to start. Once a week I hit my local comic shop, Heroes World in Levittown, plug plug, and arrange my comics into a certain pecking order. This week I started with Son of Ambush Bug number 2, followed by DC Comics Presents number 96, Superman and Blue Devil, and went down the list until I get to those few Marvel titles I still bother with. After the Marvels, I looked at Angel Love number 1 and ignored it to read through the various letters columns. Uh, The phone rang, distracted me, and I forgot all about Angel Love. The next day, while filing away the week's comics, I realized I hadn't yet read Angel Love. Okay, let's check it out. Can't let my friends know I bought the romance title, though, snicker snicker. But hey, wait a minute. This is really getting good here. Between the nice touches like the late Mo the Cockroach and Mr. Bum, the insightful glimpses at various singles and couples, especially the guy wearing the strawberry ice cream soda, uh, there was a guy at the bar who had a soda thrown at him, and of course Angel herself, well kiddo, you've got yourself a winner. I'm recommending Angel Love both to the snickering friends who buy comics regularly as well as the friends to whom I know don't care for comics. Angel Love falls into a similar character category as Amazing Man. That is, it's easy to pass off, pass off if you don't try it. That's why first thing in the morning I'm heading back to Heroes World to pick up extras to push on friends, relatives, and bums on fire escapes. Sure, I still prefer the Green Lantern Corps, but you'd better believe that next month when I rearrange my titles into which ones I'll read first, Angel Love will be right up there with my favorites. This one doesn't get a reply, but... uh. Uh, you know, it's this is a, this is definitely an easy book to dismiss. Um, I think it's become kind of a meme. You know, it's just like it's the cocaine ad uh, online now. Nobody really, nobody really actually reads it. Nobody read it or experienced it. And I think it's one that uh, that a lot of folks should experience because it is a lot of fun. Our next letter comes from Tina in Glendale, California. It says to the creator of Angel Love, fantastic, stupendous, magnificent, excellent. I especially love the eyes on page six of your first issue. I like the fact that your characters are really realistic. What what better way to be realistic than really realistic? They each have their own personalities, which is one good thing going for you if you're trying to get teenage girls to read your comic. I'm looking forward to your upcoming issues impatiently. Now, Barbara replies, not Angel, this is actually Barbara. She says, Dear Tina, how wonderful it was to hear from you. I especially love the fact that you especially love the the eyes on page 6. I must have worked on that page for 20 hours before I realized that the eyes should take up two panels instead of one. When I drive myself totally crazy, I usually think, Barbara, you're driving yourself totally crazy. No one will ever notice the difference. But thanks to you, Tina, I will continue to drive myself totally crazy because I now know that you appreciate it. Thanks again for your words of encouragement. Now, our next one comes to us from Tom in Augusta, Maine. He says, Barbara, just a note to let you know how much I enjoyed the first issue of your new comic, Angel Love. And as fine as I found your book, it's a shame that there are so many forces working against it. I mean, face it, Angel is an adult book that looks to the eyes of the audience like a typical tweeny comic. It's done in a cartoony style and tells a very straightforward story. And the humor? 
Where are the sight gags and double entendres? How, how can you use real humor and expect to win over a comic book audience? But hell, I'm a fan. And that's one more than you had when you started writing this, right? Angel Love to me is a welcome relief from the tiresome hero-glutted comics market. More, instead of borrowing from and cobbling from previous comics and creators, you're contributing an entirely new concept to the field. Hope I'm not the only one to notice. Well, I know I'm not alone, come to think of it, my girlfriend, dedicated non-comics, a dedicated non-comics reader, won't even consider looking at, say, Swamp Thing or Cerebus, picked up Angel on a whim and enjoyed it as much as she does Days of Our Lives. That says something, but I'm not sure what. Thanks for Angel, Barb, and thanks to Dick Giordano, too, for giving you your fair shot with such a non-traditional concept. No doubt, DC is currently the most exciting domestic comics company. Glad that you're a part of it. I don't know that I would uh, compare this to Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives is something that uh, the wife and I do watch. I've watched it for almost 20 years now. And uh, I think Angel Love might actually be a little bit more realistic, <laughs> you know, talking roaches and all, than a lot of the stuff you uh, you might see on Days of Our Lives. Maybe we'll... Uh, no, no, we won't do a Days of Our Lives episode anytime down the line. I don't think anyone would want to hear that. Uh, now, Barbara replies to Tom and says, Dear Tom, I'm not proud to say that I'm not a comic book reader. Perhaps if I were, Angel Love would look more like a traditional comic book. But I love writing and drawing Angel Love and hope that the non-traditional look doesn't turn people off. But hell, you're a fan, and that's one more that I had when I started. So Barbara has a uh, very good sense of humor about this. And uh, it is interesting to see that uh, you know she wasn't really into comics, because I think now she actually teaches courses on how to how to make comics and graphic novels. So... That's, uh, that's pretty interesting to me. Our next letter, and this one comes from the Mad Maple of all people, from, uh, from Western Ontario, Canada. He's a, a prolific letter hack, and he is known for writing very, very long pieces, and uh, this one is no exception. So <laughs> let's get right into it. Dear Editor, well, I guess the first question to be asked is, why a, is a big superhero fan like myself reading a comic book like Angel Love? I'm sure the phrase, I wouldn't be caught dead reading a comic book like that, would be applied to me and Angel Love by certain people. But hey, I couldn't, res- I couldn't resent that assumption, even if I did sort of make it myself just now. Though I enjoy superhero comics a lot, I also like other kinds. Heck, I'd love to see a Sugar and Spike mag again. I figured that the first issue was at least worth a look. Well, now that we've got that settled, maybe I should offer a few comments on number one, eh? First of all, the name Angel Love is just a little too cutesy for me. I certainly hope and trust that it's not her real name. Assumedly, there's some sort of nickname, or at the very least, a name she picked out for herself. Yeah, I know, who am I to complain about cutesy pseudonyms, but there you go. We obsessive letter hacks have no shame. Well, not a lot, anyway. Angel herself, on the other hand, has just about the right amount of cuteness in her. Visually, she's rather engaging. Also, she behaves in a fairly believable manner. She is, dare I say it, sort of normal. She's not in total control of herself or her life, but she generally knows what she's doing and what she wants, sort of. Her feelings over meeting and going out with Don were fairly well handled. Generally, the rest of the strip's elements were pretty darn cute, too, sometimes inappropriately so. I guess you get credit for mentioning cockroaches, who were a bit eerie, I might add, as miniature observers and ridiculers of us humans, and drunkards, but even these were seen to be rather nice and harmless. While Angel herself was generally well done, the rest of the art was rather flat. 
There's nothing wrong with the cartoony style, but it must have, must have depth, both technically and in the characters. Don, in particular, came off very poorly. He was much too wooden. For instance, when he was reading the last when reading the last panel on page five, I couldn't help think what Angel was talking was doing talking to a damn cartoon. Also, Wendy didn't work out quite right either. She looked like she only had one eye, as opposed to having her other eye hidden by her hair. Still, I'll be back next issue for a look see. Well, Mr. Maple, he seems to like the word generally, uh, almost as much as I do. I think I say that an awful lot too, but uh. I, I very seldom listen back to anything I say, so I, I could be wrong. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, the Mad Maple is a... Uh, he's uh, generally a fan, generally. Generally a fan, generally, generally speaking. Our next letter comes from a Dan from somewhere. No, uh, no, uh, no, no location listed here. It says, uh, Dear Ms. Slate, I received your reply to my letter today, and needless to say, I was perhaps as thrilled to receive your response to my fan letter as you were to receive my fan letter. I was intrigued to learn that Angel had been in the works for two years. It'll probably grow customary for Angel to receive copious praise, but it is indeed a pleasure to be among the first. Did I beat out the Mad Maple? Well, almost. Uh, since letter writing is rather new to me, after reading comics for 14 years, it seemed appropriate to write. Wonder why I didn't do so sooner. It was cert I was certainly thrilled to see that, indeed, the fan reaction to any given project can mean a great deal to the creators. To address your point that the desired audience of teenage girls will be difficult to attain, consider that more readers than we suspect may appreciate your work. Consider the Love and Rockets popularity, certainly not limited to women, not to draw comparisons, but to point out that exactly who is buying a comic book is often a surprise when it deviates from its target audience. Thank you for the comment regarding my knowledge of comics. I pride myself on a fairly diverse range of knowledge, which is a plus in choosing new comics when I can count among the week's purchases such diverse things as Nexus, Swamp Thing, Moonshadow, and even books with the letter X in or associated with the title. But to paraphrase Dave of Thune, I don't know who that is, it ill befits one to toot one's own horn. I would be really curious to know from whence you drew inspiration from it for Angel Love. One can certainly chance a guess that the Archie series was an influence, a group of titles which I respect immensely. But I can only guess that perhaps Trina Robbins might be an influence, however I am grasping at straws. Once again, thank you for responding to my letter. Perhaps you will re reciprocate the gesture when and if I am an ever a published cartoonist. And, uh... Barbara replies with, Dear Dan, yes, you did beat out the Mad Maple by one day. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Mad Maple got beat. Uh, I am also curious to know from whence I drew inspiration for Angel Love. Whenever I try to go deep into my psyche to, figure, to try and figure out who or what influenced me, I usually come back with a mishmash that's marshmallow with pineapple chunks. Which sounds pretty tasty. Um, but I can tell you the people I admire that have probably influenced me in one way or another are Woody Allen, John Lennon, Judy Bloom, Gary Trudeau, Charles Schultz, Molly Ringwald, and the cast and writing of the soap opera All My Children, and many more things that and people that I can't think of right now. Thanks for the letters, Dan, and I look forward to another letter with your wonderful observations. And, uh... She wraps it up with a closer. It says, that's about it for now. I hope you enjoyed our first letters page as much as we did. It's really the only chance Angel and I have to come in direct contact with you and know that know what you like and don't like. Hope 
not much, about Angel Love. Please continue to write to Angel Love at an address that uh, probably no longer gets DC Comics mail. And don't forget to seal it with a kiss. So there you go. That is the first letters page from Angel Love, and uh, mostly positive, but uh, I think it's a mostly positive book. I don't, I don't think if uh, if you didn't like this book, I don't know if you'd put... The, put forth the energy to tell someone you didn't like it Because, I mean, you look at the cover of Angel Love And you're, you're going to know if this is something That's going to be in your wheelhouse or not, I think uh, You're not going to read this expecting You know, superhero action Or, you know, aliens taking over the planet It's just not what you're expecting When you when you buy Angel Love uh, So, uh, yeah, very, uh, very fun first letters page I, I do like that uh, Angel's kind of a character in the page And uh, how she and Barbara kind of Go back and forth I think that's a lot of fun um, Barbara Slate and I do follow each other on Twitter So maybe uh, maybe one of these days I'll reach out And see if uh, Reggie and I can't pick her brain About some uh, Angel Love stuff I I too am intrigued to find out That Angel Love was you know a work in progress For two years before seeing print I think that's uh, there might be an interesting story there And, uh, and, and Angel Love is just one that I, I really really enjoy uh, Unironically I think it's a lot of fun I think there's this this great like a relevant innocence to it. It's very, uh, it's very strange uh, dynamic, but it's just so much fun as well. But that'll do it for the hot take. We're gonna go to the horns one last time, and then we're gonna do some plugs for Superblog Team Up: Colon Immortal. Now, before going straight into plugs, I just want to express my gratitude for being included in a Superblog Team Up. Uh, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. It's a, uh, it's. One of the days where nobody like me can feel like a somebody. You know, it's a very passionate group of people, all you know, on the same team here, just helping everybody, helping each other out, promoting and uh, getting the word out there. It's really a very special day uh, if you're a blogger, podcaster, content creator. Um, and I'm proud uh, to say that I, I've actually helped shape the roster. You know, I've I've made suggestions and had a few people added. Uh, whose work I, I admire and respect, and uh, it's just it's just a wonderful experience. It's a great group of people, and uh, I do suggest that you uh, check everybody out. Uh, I'm going to go through a list of uh, of pieces that are going to be part of this, but also if you do want to follow us, you could do so at hashtag SuperBlogTeamUp or maybe hashtag SBTU. I'm going to try to put both in my post. Uh, I, I'm guessing the rest of the gang will as well So if you are on Twitter and you pop those in there uh, today, right, as we speak um, You should see some content uh, that's definitely worth your uh, your eyes, ears, and uh, and hearts, <laughs> I guess uh, Let's go through the list here We've got uh, my good friend Walt Neeland, comic reviews by Walt He's doing a piece on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Highlander uh, the the head honcho here, Chris Bailey, Charlton Hero, he's doing over at his superhero satellite, he's doing a piece called Mephisto's Whisper, The Immortality of Peter and Mary Jane, a discussion of one more day. Comics, 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 Jeremiah, he's doing Dr. Fate. And uh, I'll, have the, I'll have all these links in the show notes, and I'll probably throw up a uh, post on chrisandreggie.com. I, I know I've been derelict in doing that, but uh, I will I will fix that this week. Uh, the Between the Plages blog is doing Big Finish, colon, Doctor Who's Finest Regeneration. The Unspoken Decade, that's a 90s-themed comic blog, is doing Archer and Armstrong. DC in the 80s is taking a look at uh, Bug, The Adventures of Forager from Young Animal, which uh, Reggie and I discussed at length, so you can check that out any which way. 
At the website Black, White, and Bronze, we got What What Price Immortality, a review of Red Nails. Over at the Daily Rios, he's doing a piece on Arion the Immortal, a 1992 six-issue miniseries. Uh, Ben Herman's In My Not-So-Humble Opinion is doing It Came From 1990's Ivar the Time Walker. Vic Sage of the upcoming pop culture Retrorama site is doing I Am Legend. The Source Material Comics Podcast is taking a look at Vampirella Roses for the Dead. Dave's Comics Heroes blog is looking at Multi-Man. Magazines and Monsters, the podcast episode is Kang and Immortus. Uh, Kang, Avengers Kang, time and time again, trade paperback. Uh, that's covering Avengers issues 69 through 71. And there, there's going to be a blog post coming from Doc Strange as well you can keep an eye out for. And finally, the Radulichin Broadcasting Network is doing an episode of TV Party Tonight where they're going to be looking at Jupiter Ascending, a commentary on that episode. And uh, all of these will be live as you're hearing this, uh, Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. Uh, at least that's, uh, that's the plan. For all I know, my computer can explode and you won't be hearing this until the day after anyway. So who knows? But uh, <laughs> that'll about do it here. Uh, again, uh, deepest gratitude for including me in this round of uh, Superblog Team Up. Uh, This is my first time actually not doing a blog post. This is uh, just going to be the podcast this time because over at the blog at Chris is on Infinite Earths, uh, we're still uh, elbow, eyeball deep in in Action Comics Weekly. And uh, it's kind of hard to throw that off track. So (laughs) we're just going to do the episode. Um, Now, if you'd like to get a hold of us or if you have any questions about Superblog Team Up or if you have a... If maybe maybe you're a blogger and uh, I might be overstepping my bounds here, but if you're a blogger and you're uh, you want to work with like-minded, passionate bloggers, maybe uh, maybe send me a link and I'll take a look at your stuff and pass it along. And you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can check out the show site at chrisandreggie.com and all the places where you hear noise. Again, if you want to you know check out the site that this show is named after, you can do so at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. If while you're there, you see something that you know catches your eye and you want to hear me talk about it on the air, definitely let me know and I'll get it on the list. If while you're there, you see something that you have a particular fondness for that you'd like to discuss with me, uh, let me know and we'll see about getting you out, getting you on the show eventually because I'm notoriously bad about following up with things like that. But uh, we can only do the best we can. Again, hashtag SuperBlogTeamUp, hashtag SBTU. Links will be available wherever I can post links and as well as in the show notes. I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, so long for now. See ya. See ya.